and welcome to Jewish Boy Calls His Mother. I'm your host, Sadia, and this is my mother, Ima. Hello, Ima. Hello, my little sweetie pie. Num, 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 num. Oh, so mushy. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, we wanted to thank uh, one of our listeners for uh, correcting my mother about... Uh, <laughs> I'm about, always getting corrected. Uh, about <laughs> That's why the, the mother is the typical thing to do. <laughs> about the... Um, uh, it wasn't Gladys Knight that sang You're My Venus. It was Shocking Blue, and it was sung by Marisha Beres. And that's that was something that he wanted to mention. But let's get back onto the main topic. So, of so we want to thank that listener. Thank you so much. Thank you, listener. See, see, when you listen and you get involved, and you contact us, we mention you. We do a little, little callback. It's worth it. Um, so our main topic for tonight is inventions that actually either flopped or basically became obsolete from when I would say back, we're going to say from 1950s to the 19, up to the 90, 1990s, but the 50s to the 90s. So we'll take it from the top for maybe inventions from when my mother was, was, was a young child. Any, <laughs> anything, that, anything that comes to mind, you would say that, that first came out back in the 50s, like, oh, this was the thing. This was the newest you know, I would say almost almost like a fad, but you felt like it wasn't a fad. It was the, this is this is the future, and then like over Tran time, the transistor radio. You could actually walk around. This was battery powered. It was small. You held it in your hand. You could walk around and um, listen to music any place, any time. Um, in fact, there was a very famous song from 1960 called Transistor Sister, da -da -da, Transistor Sister, listen to her radio, about this boy who has a sister who she's constantly walking around with her transistor radio, constantly listening to music, and uh, that's basically what the song was about. Well, I mean, I think it's funny because it, it just, that, that invention evolved, that evolved into the Walkman, that evolved into the CD player, um, which involved the MP3 player, which evolved into like streaming sites. But uh, we've always wanted to listen to music, no matter where we were. Which is music, which is which is funny. It's like it's something that that is just, I guess, timeless. That there's always a wanting for music constantly to be played. Yeah, it's. it's um, I told you about the time I was on a bus, um, downtown Baltimore. And I wanted to listen to this concert very barely. So I decided to bring on my transistor radio and with my earphones and sitting on the bus, listening to this beautiful concert, watching people walking on and off the bus gave it like a whole surreal existence. It was almost like being in a movie and with the incidental music playing in the background. Yeah, I've, I, I've, seen, I've seen some vines of uh, people, you know, walking around or doing whatever daily things, and somebody has music playing in the background, and the music like just hits the mark every single time. And these people are unaware, and they're just doing their job or doing their work or or singing or or dancing or whatnot. Um, it's just because it's 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 just music is just the the one of the ways to the soul where it 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 moves you. Um, but we're we're getting distracted. So what other in, uh, what other inventions, I guess? Oh, yeah. Okay, well, I was telling you, um, 
I'm trying to think what else. Then there was the um, well, we had the stereos. You know, the the big stereos with the two with the speakers. We had um, I remember when the whole concept of stereophonic music was being introduced. The way that they introduced it was Perry Como was a famous uh, singer at the time, and he had his own variety show. And the way that he that um, stereophonic music was introduced to the public was they did a simulcast at the same time that he did his television show. He told the he told the television audience to go to their kitchens. In those days, everybody had a kitchen radio. The, and the, ra the radios, for some reason, the radios were in the kitchen and stayed there. This is during the 1950s. Later on, people had radios all over their house. But in the 1950s, the, the main radio was in the kitchen. So he told everybody to go to their kitchens and turn on their kitchen radios. And he told them what station, what frequency. And sure enough, it was his program being broadcasted on the radio. And he says, now, if you sit in your living rooms while you're watching my program, you're going to hear my program at the same time on your kitchen radio, and this is stereo. Actually, uh, the Germans, I was listening to a, an old concert that was recorded of, I think, Beethoven's Fifth Symphony or something. Uh, it was recorded in uh, 1945, Berlin Philharmonic. And the um, uh, broadcaster was saying that in this old recording that it was the Germans were experimenting with stereophonic sound. And if you'll listen to this recording, it has almost like a type of shimmery echo effect because they were the ones actually that invented, that actually started stereophonic sound. What was interesting too about this recording is you had, he said, you're gonna hear something that's gonna sound like static. He says, this recording was made during a bombing raid as the allies were coming wow. into Berlin. And all that static is not static. It's the sound of bombs exploding. Wow, that is intense. Yeah. Intense. Wait, wait, isn't there like some kind of um, concert that like plays, like supposed to have like cannons in the background or something? That was, that was Tchaikovsky's 1812 Overture. Oh yeah, that was a very famous recording. That recording was made when I was in junior high school and it was one of the most popular recordings ever of Tchaikovsky's 1812 Overture. Not only did was recording amazing, but they had a whole section that was, of course it was done on a big, um, uh, it was on a 33 RP, you know, album. And What's the- RP album? The, the 35, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a record, you know, bit that oh, was the, big, okay. the big records that were played on the high fidelity turntables. And one side of the record, of course, was the 1812 Overture. The other side was a whole documentary of how they, what they went through to record it. This was the first recording of Tchaikovsky's 1812 Overture where they wanted to use a real cannon. Um, oh, and they wanted to use real bells at the end. And the way that they did it was that there was an, a cannon on the campus, I think it was of, I think, Harvard University and it was still a cannon that could be used. So they fired off this cannon. They made a recording uh, on a tape recorder of this cannon being fired. And what the percussionist had to do was every time, instead of, the, instead of playing 
like hitting the timpani. That's the kettle drum, the big kettle drum for to simulate the sound of a cannon. Instead, the percussionist would press the button on the tape recorder so that the sound of the cannon would go off. Sounds kind of cheap, actually. Yeah, and but that was but that was state of the art for the time, and the way <laughs> and also they did the same thing for the chimes. They um, they recorded there. I think I think also on Harford campus, um, there were these chimes that went off like on every hour from the this bell tower that they had there. So they recorded the sound of the chimes going off, and they said they had to record it many times because. The first one of the times that they tried to record it, you could actually hear this one student was walking through the pathway there and whistling, and you could hear the student whistle while they're trying to record the chimes. That's awesome. And then another time, another somebody else was walking through, you could hear their footsteps. So they had to try to record it at the time that nobody was around there, so they could get the exact sound. And the same thing for the chimes; they just the percussionist turned on the tape recorder, and then you had the sign, the sound of the chimes going off, being amplified. So that's that's what I would I was expecting like actually they brought they like wheeled a cannon into you know the facility I mean the acoustics would be terrible it would blow everyone's <laughs> like ears off but it'd be totally worth it for just like one second be able to go ahead and just have that one cannon or or maybe have an outdoor concert and then just have bring the cannons there well, well what was so well, I know Baltimore Symphony um, for a number of years re very recently just you know um like recently, like now they will give a concert at Oregon Ridge. And while the um, while the fireworks for 4th of July, while the fireworks are going off, they'll play Tchaikovsky's 1812 Overture while uh. the fireworks are going off. Well, there was what happened was the Quaker Oats people took that famous recording and they used it in their commercial because the whole idea of Quaker Oats, when I was a kid, um, the whole I, Quaker Oats had this very famous commercial what they would do is they would have a cannon and they would say, and Quaker Oats is going to shoot their oatmeal right into your bowl. And they would have a picture of a cannon going off and Quaker Oats like going through the cannon. That, that, that's when I was a little kid. I remember my mother putting me in a high chair with oh, a wow. bowl of chicken soup. I was really young. I was in a high chair. I must've been like three years. I was about maybe two or three years old, but I do remember that commercial of the, um, it was it was a, it was doing a pro a, t a television program where the television host said um, brought on this like you know this picture of this big can and say and Quaker Oats they Quaker Oats was their sponsor he said now Quaker Oats is going to shoot their Quaker Oats right into your bowl and they you see the cannon go off you see the Quaker Oats go off and me being three years old I looked in my bowl and all I saw was chicken soup and rice oh I did you're not confused see the I did not see I was looking for the Quaker Oats it was supposed to be in my bowl oh that's funny that's a really cute story. So were there any fads, I guess, that you were growing up that like, or, or oh, any like- Talk about fads, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, the hula hoop, mini skirt. Um, That's still around. Then, there were, then they had for a while, they had, um, what was it? Um, these, I'm trying to think they were these, I, I think they were British naval hats that somehow hit the market and became all the fad and I wanted to buy one. I think I was, I was in junior high school at the time. And so I bought one. And after I bought one, I was walking around the store and I see this kid my age, a girl coming up the aisle and she's wearing one. And we look at each other, we start to laugh. And then we see two other kids wearing the same hat 
coming from other directions and we all just look at each other and start laughing. It's like, and we, we didn't know each other. We're all strangers. It's like four kids all in the same place, all wearing this British naval hat. That's funny. Were there any like, were there any like toy? Like I remember as a kid growing up and playing with Gak. Gak was like this weird slime that actually um, I found out later on was named after heroin. But he, the guy who invented it, thought it would be funny to name it, name it that. But, um, but I mean, Gag is like was like a silly putty, almost. I think I remember that kind of well. In fact, I think I remember peeling it off the walls after you kids played with it. Yeah. Well, oh, excuse me, the ceiling. Everywhere, just just yeah. everywhere. <laughs> so so now who you know, was Gag? You said Gag was a hero. No, 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 no. Oh. I, I said. Uh huh. I said Gak was, it was based off of, I think Nickelodeon started it, but the creator of it who called it Gak knew that it's, uh, Gak is street, is the, a street word for heroin. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And he just, uh, he just did it because he thought it was funny. Um, <laughs> but that's kind of, that's, that's what, that's what it was. And that's what was that. That's what was. So I I found out about this like I think last year, I was just skimming through those like those like Buzzfeed stuff. Like, did you know, um, things? But so like so what so, what weirdest fads I I would say, would you remember? I remember the Twiggy eyes girls taking eye makeup and making their eyes like Twiggy with those big, um, those little uh you know little putting these little lines around their eyes because that's eyeliner the twiggy the model what she did was um she had i guess it would it was like um i don't know how she did it but she had these teeny little lines going all along the bottom of her eye that was her like mark and trade as a model and i remember girls wanting to emit mimic that um but one of the inventions we're talking about inventions uh one of the inventions i was telling you about was when i was in my senior year of high school uh we were invited to the music students were invited to come and tour the peabody conservatory and peabody conservatory had a small department of electronic music electronic music was just starting at the time um, and there was this girl, this young woman getting her master's degree in, of course, in voice. And this was her hobby. And she was working with what, with what was the very, very beginnings of the synthesizer. Now today, we, it was called the synthesizer at the time. Today, we have our electric keyboards and our electric, all our electric keyboards have tone banks, you know, and sound effects and all sorts of any type of sound you want you can get from your electric keyboard. But what people don't know is when this, in, when this technology first started, it was in its infancy, what it looked like was you had a keyboard, electric keyboard, and then you had a panel that rose up from the keyboard vertically that was full of all these electric circuits. She had to manually connect each circuit then when she turned it on, it had this hum. And the hum was, of course, that it was on. And then from there, she could go and experiment 
and try all sorts of sounds with it. The only problem was that it only lasted for maybe 10 minutes and then died off. And then she had to reconnect the circuits. I also want to go into friends, like people I know who were going into computer programming at the time. And um, that was, you know, we sit down at our computers now and we just, you know, we type in, we type in whatever, you know, whatever we want, go on Google, we can get with them for any information we want. In those days, you, um, computer programming involved a language called COBALT. And you actually had to be schooled in that particular type of computer language. It was very difficult. You sat at it, looked like a typewriter. You typed out these cards. And then there was only one computer for class. So you had to wait with everybody else in the class to be able to put your program into the computer to see if it worked. And if you typed one little smidgen out of place, or one dot where there should have been a space, or a little comma where there should have been a dot, your whole program wouldn't work. And you, was, and you spent hours wasted and had well, to go back and redo the whole thing. Well, that, that's kind of how code works nowadays. You, when you're writing code, you got to have everything exact. If, if one little line's off, one little dash is off, the whole code doesn't work. What's code? Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. We're, talk, we're, we're talking to the technologically impaired. We don't, uh, 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 okay. Um, I'm going to give you the Webster's Dictionary version of it because if I had to explain it to you, it's just... The system of words or letters or figures or other symbols substitute for other words, letters, etc. for just in, in order to write a program. It's it's like if you're trying to write, for instance, how does Facebook work, right? Well, it's a whole program and the whole program is written by code. That's how that's how code works. I, I, I'm but not- You a, have to write it up yourself. I mean, you can't just uh, go, t- go into a website and they have it all ready for you. It, we're, t- we're talking about the people who invented Facebook, you know? Oh. We're talking about the people who invented it, or if you're going to invent your own app or do your own thing, or if you want to create an, a website, and not a website, but um, you know, if you're trying to do something with computers and you're trying to get more into the inner software work, you have to know code. And it's about command, it's about commands and telling, you know, what you're trying to tell the computer what to do. It's oh yeah, and one another good invention. I just you just you just jolted my memory. Um, was the battery powered tape recorder now when i was a little girl during the 50s tape recorders were big were like these big things they were about the size of i'm trying to think uh oh gosh i'm trying to think how how i could describe how big they were they as had big to be as big, uh about um i would say like about a a foot and a half by a foot and a half and they had these big reels and you had to take the tape of these big reels and you actually had to manually string string the tape through the mechanism and into the next reel and put it in the next reel and turn the next reel to get it going a little bit then they came out with the battery powered cassette players now the tape was small it was in this little like you know it was in this little plastic container 
And all you had to do was put the plastic container in the tape recorder, shut down the top and press a button. And it was battery powered and you can, it was the size of maybe it was like, it was maybe six inches by, I would say like one foot by six inches by one foot maybe. And you could carry it wherever you went and record anything, any place that you wanted. So there were college students. I did this a couple of times for Yom Tovim when I couldn't be in class. I would um, have a non-Jewish friend of mine record the lecture for me and then I would listen to it afterwards. So um, there was a joke when this thing came out that our sixth grade teacher told us about this student decides instead of going to class, he decides he's just gonna set up his battery powered cassette recorder and he just presses the on button and leaves and goes off and does something else and comes back, uh, you know, maybe 20 minutes later and picks it up and or never half an hour later, you know, whatever, and then just, you know, leaves with it. So the student next to him feels that this is a really good idea and he decides to do it. And of course, it goes like a chain reaction. Then one day the professor walks into class and instead of seeing people there, he sees a whole room full of cassette recorders. So he says, aha, he says, okay, they can do this. I can do this too. So instead of coming to class and lecturing, he would simply record his, his lectures and he would bring in his little, you know, battery powered tape, cassette tape recorder and just put it on and walk out of the room. So the conclusion, as our teacher told us, was nobody came to class. Yeah, and it's great. People were able to learn without being distracted or, or like, I don't know, because to be honest, I'm studying right now for my exams and there's a lecture that there, there's like a group lectures that people um, have that I could find on YouTube and I could listen to the lecture and I can listen to it whenever I want, however long I can, I can pause it, I can rewind it. It's just, it's super, it's more convenient than listening to the lecture live sometimes. But no, I get the point. Yes, yes, your sixth grade teacher was right. <laughs> yeah. So besides, so besides there, the- Maybe there is something to be said about real human interaction. You need, everyone needs human interaction. Why do you think that, like, like Google's a great idea, but I still see more and more people asking questions to random humans of th simple tasks that can be done by Google. It's because they want that human interaction. They want that human face-to-face -face talking to somebody else that gives, that gives them an answer. That's really what, what, what's, what's going on because everyone's like, oh, just use Google. Like, yeah, we can use Google, but I want to socialize with people. That's one know. point too, but there's also something else too, is that sometimes when I'm using technology, it's not answering my question. And uh, it takes, it's evidently, it's, you know, it's misinterpreting what I'm trying to say. And at that point, you need human judgment. You need someone to talk to that can better interpret what you're trying to tell them. Yeah, well, that's, that's where AI comes in. And they're trying to connect that gap with AI and what AI can do to, to help humans, you know, just be better and get better. Um, okay, so that is our time. Um, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Uh, don't forget to subscribe and uh, check us out on YouTube and check us out on Facebook. Um, and thank you so much and have a good Shabbos. Okay, have a good Shabbos, honey. Love you. I love you. All right, bye bye.
Thank you for listening to Jewish Boy Calls His Mother. Please like and share and find us on Facebook at Jewish Boy Calls His Mother Podcast. We are looking forward to hearing from you.